My name is Jeff Harbach. I'm the CEO of Coffin Fellows and the host of the Coffin Fellows podcast. This season, our podcast is produced in partnership with Mighty Capital and features different Coffin Fellows as co-hosts. In this podcast, we dive deep into the personal narratives of some of the most successful names in the venture capital industry, but we're not here just to explore their highlight reels, however impressive they are. From failures and formative learning experiences to inflection points and aha moments, we discuss the real, authentic journeys that each individual goes through to become the best version of themselves in order to best serve the entrepreneurs they invest in. Covering various themes in venture capital investing, we speak with the world's top leaders in capital formation, all from a place of authenticity and vulnerability. Together, we'll unravel what truly makes a great venture capital investor. Now let's meet today's host and their guest. Hi, I'm Wayne Moore, managing partner at ABG Basecamp Fund, and I'm excited to host this series on Vet to Venture, where we talk with veterans about their unique path from the military to a career in venture and technology. Let's hear from my guest today. Hello, you are listening to the Kaufman Fellows podcast from Vet to Venture, and I'm your host, Wayne Moore, and today I'm joined by my guest, Zachary Ellis. How are you, Zach? Good, Wayne. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. I'm thrilled to have Zach with me today. Uh, Zach and I actually met years ago on a Navy ship and became fast friends and actually shared the same birthday. Uh, it's Ju- July 14th, or Bastille Day, uh, for those who want to sh- send gifts. Uh, Zach is actually in the process of launching a new fund in Texas, but has been an investor with Rev1, Ohio State, and PepsiCo Ventures Group. So he has a really interesting experience with both corporate, university, and traditional VC. Zach, I'd love it if you could walk us through your path from your start at the academy, at the Naval Academy, that is, to becoming a venture capitalist. Yeah. One of the most important lessons I learned at the Naval Academy was just simply how to connect to people and and learn from them. Having that humility to use being a good listener and a good follower as as tools and being a leader was something that stuck with me, you know, throughout my journey. And so, you know, as I um, transitioned out of the Naval Academy where you you get a pretty good technical education regardless of what your major is, as I transitioned out of that, I took those lessons with me into the fleet and it's, you know, a skill set that I was able to hone there. And it's really paid dividends for me as I've now entered the world of venture where you're connecting with founders from all walks of life, different levels of technical skill, different problems that they're looking to solve. And the more inclusive you are, you're also learning about problems you may not have intuitively ever um, cared about on your own. So more about my, my path, you know, so I, I uh, left the academy. I served seven years active duty um, as a surface warfare officer on ships doing doing uh, the good man's work, <laughs> which is where we met. Um, and, you know, as I transitioned out of the military, it was important to me that I did something in the private sector that you know, seemed as important to me as serving in the military did. And so a lot of the traditional job fields many uh, former military officers get pulled into just weren't really of interest to me, whether it's manufacturing jobs or sales jobs, just didn't really resonate the same. And so um, I took my first foray in the private sector in, in trying to transform healthcare because it was a really big topic at the time. The United States was considering whether or not to go to a universal healthcare system. And so I got on with um, a health insurer, uh, named Humana. And 
it was a really cool experience for me. Only six months into that opportunity, I, I got a chance to be an expat working in the UK, helping uh, or working with the the NHS, National Health Service, understanding their healthcare model and, and how it might uh, be relevant to the United States. And that was in conjunction with the with Humana's Innovation Department. And so that's what really opened my eyes to the opportunity of working with technology in ways to transform people's lives, to you know invest in new technologies, to introduce new business models in ways that could radically transform the way people live their lives on a day-to-day basis. And that that planted the seed with me that stuck over the probably the next you know five or six years as I navigated a, a corporate consulting career and um, one day discovered venture while at a a uh, a conference. You know, I had become enamored with investment but didn't really consider myself a finance guy. I didn't want to be stuck behind a desk working financial models and spreadsheets. And so I just knew that there was something else out there. And when I discovered venture capital in conjunction with, with relocating and really trying to uh, transform my career, everything just kind of matched and, and took off for me. So I'm one of the few folks, you know, you hear on a lot of podcasts, people stumble into venture. Uh, I discovered it and then went head first and knew that it was what I wanted to do um, and haven't really looked back. Got it. And so, yeah, so kind of walk us through, you know, the steps on that path. Once you decided you wanted a job in venture, it sounds like that seed was planted with your experience at Humana. How did you actually go from that experience there to actually landing a job in venture? Yeah. So at the time I was moving to Madison, Wisconsin, uh, which doesn't have a lot of uh, you know, a large corporate base. There weren't that many jobs that I could easily transition into, but uh, a few folks that I networked with who knew that I was interested in venture told me that if uh, it was really where I wanted to play that I should get involved with the the university's tech tech transfer office, and uh, so I did. I, I um, connected with WARF, which stands for Wisconsin Alumni Research Foundation, which is the tech transfer office of the University of Wisconsin Madison. Um, all large research universities have this type of office where they look to commercialize university research and turn them into technologies that get used in in products, many of these get commercialized through startups as a as an avenue, not just you know large corporates. Um, you know, Google's an example of a of a technology that was a research project at one point that then got commercialized through its tech transfer office. So anyway, Wharf was one of the leading tech transfer offices, and so my already uh, existing healthcare experience and some of the technology and engineering experience I had from the Navy translated well for me in terms of understanding university research. And then my consulting background helped me then translate into, you know, that into solving various business problems. And um, I just started volunteering for all of the opportunities that involved working with startups uh, got involved in university incubators, boot camps, accelerators, et cetera. And from there, one of uh, a Wisconsin alum that I was working with as an advisor to a, a clean tech accelerator I was managing uh, with the university recruited me to join PepsiCo initially as a technology scout. And then through some uh, a corporate reorg, we went from a technology scouting team to a 
corporate innovation team, which eventually became the corporate venture team. And so I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and spoke up and said, this is really what I want to do. I think it ties to the mission that you're describing. And uh, everybody just kept saying yes. So (laughs) (laughs) through through a little bit of luck and a lot of uh, just sort of, you know, forging my own path, things kind of came together for me. And um, one thing led to another. Got it. So so you were at um, PepsiCo Ventures kind of, you know, there's there's several sort of uh, corporate venture arms that have that have sprung up over the past uh, several years, but you were kind of there before. I guess cor- corporate venture was was a was a cool thing. Uh, tell me about you know, sort of that experience working uh, within such a massive organization like PepsiCo uh, and thinking about innovation and what companies you would ultimately invest in uh, that that were either part of Pepsi's strategic sort of vision or or things like that. I would be curious to just to learn a little bit more about your experience on the corporate VC side of things. Yeah. So my, my team, yeah. I, tell, I also tell people, you know, I was in corporate venture before it was cool. <laughs> I tell people what I did and people within Pepsi didn't know what I was talking about. and <laughs> thought I was crazy. And, and people, you know, even in Silicon Valley, we'd be like, Pepsi, why? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyways, uh, PepsiCo at that point in time had essentially two innovation groups. They had the Innovation group most people are probably familiar with, which innovated on products that you'd see on you see on the commercials, the new Gatorade, this or you know these new potato chips, etc. But um, I was part of R and D, and so we focused on things that were strictly technical in nature. So uh, that involved everything from autonomous vehicles, because PepsiCo owns the second largest fleet of of trucks uh, of logistics trucks in the country, I think the world next to FedEx, uh, to agriculture and understanding how various diseases and crops like potato and corn and oat would affect PepsiCo supply chain. You know, it it gave me an opportunity to really flex those technical chops to, to really understand how science tied into things. You know, we looked at really interesting opportunities, everything from gene editing to biodegradable potato chip bags so that you could, you know, if someone throws a, a bag of Lay's over the side of a cruise ship, it, it biodegrades in the ocean and doesn't kill fish. So, you know, really cool opportunities that I got to see and learn about and, um, you know, completely invaluable experience. No, that's, that's great. That's great. And then from there, you kind of went back to uh, sort of your early roots in venture, which were, was in the university system. And so went back to, uh, you know, to an opportunity in Columbus at Ohio State. So tell me about that. Yeah. So, you know, a large company like PepsiCo, you can only do certain jobs for a certain amount of time before you're expected to rotate. And at that point, I feel like I had done the coolest job in the company Mm -hmm. next to the CEOs and like, you know, managing the Super Bowl. So since I, you know, there was no chance of me ever managing the Super Bowl, I uh, started looking for other opportunities and, um, you know, came across someone who knew me from my days at Wisconsin and asked me if I was interested in going back into academia. I told him I wasn't, <laughs> but in an attempt to let him down easily, I said, look, if I were going to go back into academia, it would need to be a job just like this. And I kind of spelled out everything I was looking for. You know, has to work with startups, manage capital, invest into venture funds, blah, blah, blah. Even got as specific as a you know, medium-sized city akin to Charlotte mm-hmm. or a you know, Nashville. And I swear about a month later, they came back with an opportunity, uh, in Columbus, Ohio, um, 
at Ohio State University. And um, that gave me the opportunity to then go back into commercializing research, but this time solely through startups. I didn't have to work with uh, corporate licensing at all. Um, and at the same time, I got to begin investing into funds, which is something I did a little bit of at PepsiCo. Um, I acted as a, a limited partner into some food and ag focused funds and accelerators. Uh, and so at, at Ohio State, I got to, you know, we were early investors in the drive capital, which is now one of the largest venture funds in the Midwest, uh, you know, focused between, you know, investing in companies between the coasts. Uh, Rev One Ventures, which is an early stage uh, Midwest focused venture fund, um, Ohio Innovation Fund. And so, you know, got to get back into that a bit and understand how funds are built, the theses that they operate on, what differentiates them, et cetera, and, and really how to build a venture, a successful venture fund and, you know, an under, call it underserved, under appreciated market and the emerging market is probably the best way to describe it. And, um, yeah, just had a lot of fun. It was great quality of life. You know, wasn't on the plane as much. Uh, that got to be pretty old for me and my wife. She traveled for, for work as well. And so there were many days, uh, in the New York city suburbs where I would drop off the kids and head to the airport. And my wife was in the air coming back from someplace else. <laughs> and we were just hoping, uh, that uh, nothing went wrong between her landing and me taking off that that involves someone picking up our kids. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I find it interesting that you knew at some point early on that you wanted to forge a career in venture, um, but then ended up spending time in sort of non-traditional venture markets or ecosystems. I'd love to just kind of hear what attracted you to, to markets like Columbus or opportunities like the one at PepsiCo uh, that are maybe not, you know, not your traditional uh, venture experience that, that are based on the coasts. I had never really hitched my wagon to the idea of being in the Bay. In fact, a lot of my mentors who were successful VCs, none of them were in the Bay. And, you know, I had been taught, you know, from early on to simply follow opportunity and to not be afraid to distinguish myself in, in my own way. And so, as much as you know, part of me wanted to go to California. There was a lot of me that was okay building opportunities in, in you know areas that were largely just kind of ignored and kind of build my own track record that way. I mean, it's the you know, venture is already the type of industry where there's no real front door, just a bunch of windows and back doors, and mm -hmm. so you kind of get in anywhere you can. So you know that was part of it as well. Mm -hmm. But I think the sort of underdog mentality of being in the Midwest or being, you know, and, and me being from the South also kind of had, you know, sparked something in me to want to build and to kind of want to prove that, hey, this can be done other places. You know, I'm also kind of naturally competitive and that just kind of drove me to say, yeah, I can do this. So. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, you know, like you, I'm from the South as well. I'm from Atlanta. I know you're from uh, New Orleans. And then uh, we both spent time in the Midwest. I'm based here in Chicago now and you being in Columbus. All, all markets that are, you know, have their uh, their own or sort of in different stages of development and, and maturity, right? I think the market in Atlanta is growing. Obviously, Austin has kind of taken off. And then Columbus with Drive Capital, Rev1 and other funds there. There's a lot of things that are, are, are really growing in, in that ecosystem. Given your experience in those types of markets, 
What do you think makes a successful or contributes to a robust ecosystem that fosters innovation? Yeah, I'll start with with ingredients other than capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, people think it's really all about the capital, but there's so much more to it. Um, yeah, I think you've got to have a strong academic university base, which acts as both the source of innovation in terms of their what they crank out in terms of research and their thought leadership in, in various technical areas, but also talent, right? You know, smart kids coming out of school who are you know willing to embrace new ideas and new opportunities. And so, you know, that's something that the Bay Area has in spades, that New York, Boston, Chicago, you know, all of these areas that, you know, are current leaders in uh, as, as VC marketplaces have these strong, you know, academic centers that they, that they're built on. Um, Austin's no exception. So um, I think it's that. I think there's got to be a certain, you know, attitude with the uh, local municipalities, whether it be the, the local government or state government that is keen to help facilitate innovation and entrepreneurship, that's willing to put in place the right legislation, that's willing to help attract the right large corporates to the area and that's willing to put in place the right sort of incentives for young entrepreneurs to to take certain risks and then obviously you need the founders who want to be there right and so there's often a certain culture that gets associated with with cities that ultimately become you know leading emerging markets uh, you know, whether it's, you know, keeping it weird, like in say in Austin mm-hmm. or, or the Bay or just, you know, kind of renegades and, and we, we, we make things happen sort of attitude, like might find in New York or Boston, Chicago, Miami. Um, and, and one that I'm excited to talk about that I'm sure we'll, we'll get to a little bit later, but, um, what I'm doing in, in Texas now. No, that's great. So sort of a combination of, you, you kind of mentioned the academic, uh, so universities, and then almost like a partnership or at least coordination between sort of the public and private uh, entities yes. in, in those different communities. And I think capital, of course, uh, helps when that comes in there, but then also, you know, attracting young talent and then the element, I, I guess, of, of time. So I think once you have all those things in place, it just takes time to, to, to see those things really uh, start to flourish. Yeah, I think the casual observer doesn't really understand the degree to which state and local government, you know, the role that they play in, in helping, you know, they don't make things happen, but they facilitate behind the scenes. Um, government research facilitates a lot of things. You think about the the various NASA and other government research centers that are in San Francisco and Berkeley and, and Palo Alto. They're all playing a role in kind of turning these big cogs. It's more than just the rogue entrepreneur and a, and a well-funded VC. There's a lot of things behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and so now you, like you mentioned, uh, you, you, you're in Texas. Uh, I know you're, you're just moving there. Would love to learn a little bit more about what you're up to now. Yeah. So I, I just moved to Texas um, two weeks ago now. I'm in the process of launching a, a, a fund that I'm really excited about. Um, and you know, thus far, everything that I've seen from you know my initial conversations on the ground here matches a lot of what I was pitched as part of my my transition here. And so to give a little bit more color to that, you know, there was a nationwide search for underrepresented talent to lead a venture fund based in Texas 
to exploit some of the the opportunity that's you know kind of gone overlooked here and um somehow they 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 found me and um for that i'm a i'm a i'm a very appreciative but uh when i look at the factors that exist in a place like texas you know we talked about the academic institutions so you've got ut austin you've got baylor you've got rice you've got smu um texas a and m uh we we talked about sort of you know rogue or renegade kind of you know you know, scrappy, gritty attitudes about, you know, forging your own path. That's certainly there in the state of Texas in space. And then we talked about the sort of corporate environment as well, surrounding, you know, the the four major cities in Texas, you know, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, and Austin, you know, hold, you know, slightly more than 10% of the Fortune 50, the Fortune 100, Fortune 500, and Fortune 1000 uh, all in one place. And um, between that and then the concentration of people that live in that area, right, that's also over 10 percent of the, the U.S. population. There's a lot of fertile ground there to help founders build companies. And, you know, whether you need talent, whether you need early customers, early adopters, co-developers, et cetera, et cetera, and, and capital, you know, it's all there um, in spades. And we're working on something to to really be catalytic to early stage founders in that space. Yeah, that's great. And so it seems like here with this new fund, uh, congratulations on the move, uh, by the way. And I think uh, you've ever mentioned you also had had a baby somewhere along the way uh, in in that transition. (laughs) Well, not you had a baby, but uh, but your wife. (laughs) We is about as close as I can get to taking credit for that. Right. Um, Yeah. And so two months ago, uh, May 1st, I also had my, my fourth child, a young baby girl. So now I've got two boys, two girls, and um, somehow still have, you know, a good 90% of my hair left. So. <laughs> speak speak um, for yourself. Speak for yourself on that one. <laughs> I try to be very respectful about it. I've learned hair is a, uh, is a privilege and not a right. <laughs> no, that's true. Well, well no, congrats on the, on the move and congrats on the addition to the family. Um, with, with the new fund, sounds like you'll be, you know, part, uh, you know, an important uh, cog in the, in that ecosystem there, really helping to build out uh, the venture community, but then also invest, uh, you know, in sort of innovative and game-changing founders there. Uh, kind of pitch me, if you can, on, on Texas then, and what, what really attracts you to that market and what makes that an exciting ecosystem. Yeah, so yeah, I already, you know, touched on uh, a little bit of it, you know, but it, it, I think it deserves restating, you know, again, over over 10 percent of the nation's population lives inside of a four hour driving circle. Mm-hmm. Right. So whether you go as north as Texas, as far south as Houston, as west to San Antonio, that's 10 percent of the United States population. It's also roughly 10 percent of the Fortune 50 uh, Fortune 100, Fortune 500, Fortune 1000. So we think about, you know, companies that act as customers, companies to be co-developers, companies to, you know, serve as LPs. It's all there within half a day's drive. And these are increasingly co- companies in technology sectors. So you think about a lot of the migration that's happened to Texas by companies like Tesla, like uh, HP, 
the presences that Facebook and Google uh, and others have in Austin, Dell, obviously, um, and then the large traditional corporate sectors that are represented in cities like Dallas with uh, Ericsson, PepsiCo, Toyota now. In Houston, you've got you know, all the energy companies that are there and with everything that's happening with climate tech. Um, I mean, you, you've just got fertile ground to just play play all day. Um, and then if you go outside of that just a little bit up to Arkansas, now you've got Walmart. So you've got tons of hugely um, influential companies in a, in a very pretty small space. And then from an academic perspective, you've got lots of talents you can tap into. Universities like UT Austin, Texas A&M, SMU, Rice, uh, can't forget about the HBCUs, mm-hmm. Prairie View, Texas Southern. I mean, it's it's just fertile ground. And we, then when you factor in the cost of living in a place like Texas being certainly advantage to most of the country, certainly the coasts, um, no state income tax. I mentioned that. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. <laughs> <laughs> I can go on, but it's, and then, you know, the food here is absolutely amazing. All right. I'm sold. I'm sold. I have to come down and, and visit. What are there any particular sectors uh, that you're, that you're focused on with this new fund? I don't want to say too much, mm-hmm. but um a, a lot of our fo- you know, focus will mirror some of the industrial strengths of the of the region. So think about healthcare with with institutions like the Texas Medical Center, energy and climate tech, uh, CPG, um, and in fintech. You know those are some of the leading spaces we'll we'll play in. And so with companies like USAA, companies like BBVA. You know, there's a lot of fertile ground, a lot of talent that's either that's migrated uh, across these companies that are, you know, a lot of mid-career professionals who are looking to make a bet on themselves. And uh, I intend to be there to, to help them make that, <laughs> make those bets. Sounds, sounds like the place to be. Well, well Zach, I, I really appreciate you sharing a little bit about your path in the venture. Uh, you've obviously had a very uh, dynamic career. Not only from the, from the military, you've had like three or four careers in there somewhere. Oh, sure. from, from the military, uh, the Pepsi, the Ohio State, Rev One, et cetera, and, and to what you're building now. So, you know, really appreciate you coming on here to share a little bit about that today. I do want to, if you if you'll indulge me, have three three sort of lightning round questions for you. Uh, so we'll go ahead All and right. go through that. All right. Yes, sir. So, so first question: What makes a great VC investor? Ooh. Um, I would say it starts with a nose for people, um, because ultimately you're, you're betting on the jockey and not the horse. So having the sort of EQ to read people and, and make a good bet as to whether or not the person you want to invest in is the right one to carry an opportunity to the end. And then secondarily to that also, being engaged enough to not just write a check and walk away, but to lean in and provide access to your network, uh, your resources to uh, help uh, add value to that company, right? Not just write a check, but to add value. Uh, Second question, what advice do you have for our audience of VC investors and innovators? I would say, you know, don't, don't overlook what's happening uh, between the coasts, particularly, uh, (laughs) Texas. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. I think we, you know, we're all seeing the the 
I hate to use the word again, but migration that's happening uh, to to new areas to you know take place of whether it's cost of living, the opportunity to uh, take experience that's been gained on the coast and now translate that to new areas and because because people now want to raise families and they don't want to raise families in San Francisco or New York or where it's you know somewhat prohibitively expensive to um, to to have kids in the yard and all that sort of thing. Yeah, don't overlook these places because they are they are ripe. That the talent is is migrating, it's settling in, it's it's and it's spreading. And there are new problems to solve, and there are new applications for a lot of the technology that's been uh, created and popularized on the coast. There's new applications for them in the center of the country, and um, yeah, it'd be a mistake to overlook it. If you're a coastal investor, build networks. Uh, in the in the Midwest and in the South, with people you can trust, if you trust their eye and their point of view, um, yeah, build a relationship in that way. You know, you can take action on these opportunities. That's great. Uh, final question, Zach, is how do you stay sharp? What books, podcasts, or blogs inspire you? Ooh, um, yeah, I'm a I'm I'm a big fan of the Twenty Minute VC. Um, that's probably my my favorite podcast the one that's stuck with me the most that i you know i continue to go back to um i'm a you know, great investors and, and founders on that podcast great questions from the the great harry stebbins and um yeah it's it's opportunity to uh to learn a lot i listen to other books random books right now i'm listening to tribe of mentors by um tim ferris I do that while I'm doing the dishes and then, you know, I try to just clear my cash on a regular basis. You know, I, I, uh, it's cliche, but I do work out every other morning for about six o'clock and that just helps reset and, and stay focused and, and, um, helps me stay calm from all the other pressures I'm dealing with mostly related to, to, uh, the, the zoo like atmosphere I often come home to with these, with these kids. I concur. I try to try to work out when I can, probably not as much as you, um, but no, big fan of 20 minute VC uh, and those books as well. So with that, Zach, I really appreciate you joining me today. It's been a pleasure having you on. We'll definitely have to get down there and visit you uh, in Texas and, you know, continue to learn more about the new fund. Really excited for you. So thanks again. Thanks for having me, Wayne. I appreciate it. That's a wrap. Tune in next week for another candid conversation on what makes a great VC investor with your host, the Coffin Fellows. <laughs>